Chapter Twenty Four of the Netherworld. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Netherworld by George Robert Gissing. Chapter Twenty Four: The Family History Progresses what could possess john hewett that after resting from the day's work he often left his comfortable room late in the evening and rambled about the streets of that part of london which had surely least interest for him the streets which are thronged with idlers with carriages going homeward from the theatres with those who can only come forth to ply their business when darkness has fallen did he seek food for his antagonism in observing the characteristics of the world in which he was a stranger the world which has its garners full and takes its ease amid superfluidity it could scarcely be that for since his wife's death an indifference seemed to be settling upon him he no longer cared to visit the green or his club on sunday and seldom spoke on the subjects which formerly goaded him to madness he appeared to be drawn forth against his will in spite of weariness and his look as he walked on was that of a man who is in search of some one yet whom could he expect to meet in these highways of the west end oxford street regent street piccadilly the strand the ways about st james's park john hewett was not the only father who has come forth after nightfall from an obscure home to look darkly at the faces passing on these broad pavements at times he would shrink into a shadowed corner and peer thence at those who went by under the gaslight when he moved forward it was with the uneasy gait of one who shuns observation you would have thought perchance that he watched an opportunity of begging and was shamefaced it happened now and then that he was regarded suspiciously a rough-looking man with grizzled beard with eyes generally bloodshot his shoulders stooping naturally the miserable are always suspected where law is conscious of its injustice two years ago he was beset for a time with the same restlessness and took night walks in the same directions the habit wore away however now it possessed him even more strongly between ten and eleven o'clock when the children were in bed he fell into abstraction and presently with an unexpected movement looked up as if someone had spoken to him just the look of one who hears a familiar voice then he sighed and took his hat and went forth it happened sometimes when he was sitting with his friends mr and mrs eagles in that case he would make some kind of excuse the couple suspected that his business would take him to the public-house but john never came back with a sign about him of having drunk of that failing he had broken himself he went cautiously down the stone stairs averting his face if any one met him then by crossways he reached gray's inn road and so westwards he had a well-ordered home 
and his children were about him but these things did not compensate him for the greatest loss his life had suffered the children in truth had no very strong hold upon his affections sometimes when amy sat and talked to him he showed a growing nervousness an impatience and at length turned away from her as if to occupy himself in some manner the voice was not that which had ever power to soothe him when it spoke playfully memory brought back the tones which had been so dear to him and at times something more than memory he seemed really to hear them as if from a distance and then it was that he went out to wander in the streets of bob in the meantime he saw scarcely anything that young man presented himself one sunday shortly after his father had become settled in the new home but practically he was a stranger john and he had no interests in common there even existed a slight antipathy on the father's part of late years strangely enough this feeling expressed itself one day in the form of a rebuke to bob for neglecting pennyloaf pennyloaf whom john had always declined to recognize i hear no good of your goin's on remarked hewitt on a casual encounter in the street a married man ought to give up the kind of company as you keep i do no harm replied bob bluntly has my wife been complaining to you i've nothing to do with her it's what i'm told by kirkwood i suppose you'd better not have made up with him again if he's only making mischief no i didn't mean kirkwood and john went his way odd thing was it not that this embittered leveller should himself practice the very intolerance which he reviled in people of the upper world for his refusal to recognize pennyloaf he had absolutely no grounds save i use the words advisedly an aristocratic prejudice bob had married deplorably beneath him it was unpardonable let the character of the girl be what it might of course you recognize the item in john hewitt's personality which serves to explain this singular attitude but viewed generally it was one of those bits of human inconsistency over which the observer smiles and which should be recommended to good people in search of arguments for the equality of men after that little dialogue bob went home in a disagreeable temper to begin with his mood had been ruffled for the landlady at his lodgings the fourth to which he had removed this year was nasty about a week or two of unpaid rent and a man on whom he had counted this evening for the payment of a debt was keeping out of his way he found pennyloaf sitting on the stairs with her two children as usual poor pennyloaf had not originality enough to discover new expressions of misery and that one bright idea of donning her best dress was a single instance of ingenuity in obedience to jane snowdon she kept herself and the babies and the room tolerably clean but everything was done in the most dispirited way 
"'What are you kicking about here for?' asked Bob impatiently. "'That's how that kid gets its cold. "'Of course it is. Gur out!' The last remark was addressed to the elder child, who caught at his legs as he strode past. Bob was not actively unkind to the little wretches for whose being he was responsible. He simply occupied the natural position of unsophisticated man to children of that age, one of indifference, or impatience. The infants were a nuisance. No one desired their coming, and the older they grew the more expensive they were. It was a cold evening of October. Pennyloaf had allowed the fire to get very low. She knew not exactly where the next supply of coals was to come from. And her husband growled as he made a vain endeavour to warm his hands. "'Why haven't you got tea ready?' he asked. "'I couldn't be sure as you was coming, Bob. How could I? But I'll soon get the kettle boilin'. "'Couldn't be sure as I was coming. "'Why, I've been back every night this week, "'except two or three. "'It was Thursday, but Bob meant nothing jocose. "'Look here,' he continued, "'fixing a surly eye upon her. "'What do you mean by complaining about me to people? "'Just mind your own business. "'When was that girl Jane Snowden here last?' yesterday bob i thought as much did she give you anything he made this inquiry in a rather shamefaced way no she didn't well i'll tell you what it is i'm not going to have her coming about the place so understand that when she comes next you'll just tell her she needn't come again Pennyloaf looked at him with dismay. For the delivery of this command, Bob had seated himself on the corner of the table and crossed his arms. But for the touch of blackguardism in his appearance, Bob would have been a very good-looking fellow. His face was healthy, by no means commonplace in its mould, and had the peculiar vividness which indicates ability, so impressive, because so rarely seen, in men of his level unfortunately his hair was cropped all but to the scalp in the fashionable manner it was greased too and curled up on one side of his forehead with a peculiarly offensive perkishness poor pennyloaf was in a great degree responsible for the ills of her married life not only did she believe bob to be the handsomest man who walked the earth but in her weakness she could not refrain from telling him as much at the present moment he was intensely self-conscious with pennyloaf's eye upon him he posed for effect the idea of forbidding future intercourse with jane had come to him quite suddenly it was by no means his intention to make his order permanent for Jane had, now and then, brought little presents which were useful, but just now he felt a satisfaction in asserting authority. Jane should understand that he regarded her censure of him with high displeasure. "'You don't mean that, Bob,' murmured Pennyloaf. "'Of course I do. And let me catch you disobeying me. 
i should think you might find better friends than a girl as used to be the peckover's dirty little servant bob turned up his nose and sniffed the air and pennyloaf in spite of the keenest distress actually felt that there was something in the objection thus framed she herself had never been a servant never she had never sunk below working with the needle for sixteen hours a day for a payment of ninepence the work-girl regards a domestic slave as very distinctly her inferior but that's a long while ago she ventured to urge after reflection that makes no difference do as i tell you and don't argue it was not often that visitors sought bob at his home of an evening but whilst this dialogue was still going on an acquaintance made his arrival known by a knock at the door it was a lank and hungry individual grimy of face and hands his clothing such as in the country would serve well for a scarecrow who could have recognized in him the once spruce and spirited mr jack bartley distinguished by his chimney-pot hat at the crystal palace on bob's wedding day at the close of that same day as you remember he and bob engaged in terrific combat the outcome of earlier rivalry for the favor of clem peckover notwithstanding that memory the two were now on very friendly terms you have heard from clem's lips that jack bartley failing to win herself ended by espousing miss susan jollop also what was the result of that alliance mr bartley was an unhappy man his wife had a ferocious temper was reckless with money and now drank steadily the consequence was that jack had lost all regular employment and only earned occasional pence in the most various ways broken in spirit he himself first made advances to his companion of former days and bob flattered by the other's humility encouraged him as a hanger-on really we shall soon be coming to a conclusion that the differences between the nether and the upper world are purely superficial whenever jack came to spend an hour with mr and mrs hewett he was sooner or later to indulge the misery that preyed upon him and give way to sheer weeping he did so this evening almost as soon as he entered i ain't had a mouthful past my lips since last night i ain't he sobbed it's ard on a feller as used to have his meals regular i'll murder suki yet see if i don't i'll have her life she met me last night and gave me this black eye as you see she did it's ard on a feller you mean to say as she it you cried pennyloaf bob chuckled thrust his hands into his pockets spread himself out his own superiority was so gloriously manifest suppose you try it on with me penny he cried you'd give me something as i should remember she answered smirking the good little slavey i shouldn't wonder if i did assented bob 
mr bartley's pressing hunger was satisfied with some bread and butter and a cup of tea whilst taking a share of the meal bob brought a small box on to the table it had a sliding lid and inside were certain specimens of artistic work with which he was wont to amuse himself when tired of roaming the streets in jovial company do you recollect that when we first made bob's acquaintance he showed sidney kirkwood a medal of his own design and casting his daily work at die sinking had of course supplied him with this suggestion and he still found pleasure in work of the same kind in days before commercialism had divorced art and the handicrafts a man with bob's distinct faculty could have found encouragement to exercise it for serious ends as it was he remained at the semi-conscious stage with regard to his own aptitudes and cast leaden medals just as a way of occupying his hands when a couple of hours hung heavy on them partly with the thought of amusing the dolorous jack yet more to win laudation he brought forth now a variety of casts and moulds and spread them on the table his latest piece of work was a medal in high relief bearing the heads of the prince and princess of wales surrounded with a wreath bob had no political convictions with complacency he drew these royal features the sight of which would have made his father foam at the mouth true he might have found subjects artistically more satisfying but he belonged to the people and the english people jack bartley having dried his eyes and swallowed his bread and butter considered the medal with much attention i say he remarked at length will you give me this bob i don't mind you can take it if you like thanks jack wrapped it up and put it in his waistcoat pocket and before long rose to take leave of his friends i only wish i'd got a wife like you he observed at the door as he saw pennyloaf bending over the two children recently put to bed pennyloaf's eyes gleamed at the compliment and she turned them to her husband she's nothing to boast of said bob judicially and masculinely all women are pretty much alike and pennyloaf tried to smile at the snub having devoted one evening to domestic quietude bob naturally felt himself free to dispose of the next in a manner more to his taste the pleasures which sufficed to keep him from home had the same sordid monotony which characterizes life in general for the lower strata of society if he had money there was the music-hall if he had none there were the streets being in the latter condition to-night he joined a company of male and female intimates and with them strolled aimlessly from one familiar rendezvous to another would that it were possible to set down a literal report of the conversation which passed during the hours thus spent much of it of course would be merely revolting but for the most part it would consist of such wearying such incredible imbecilities as no human patience could endure through five minutes perusal realize it however 
and you grasp the conditions of what is called the social problem as regards robert hewitt in particular it would help you to understand the momentous change in his life which was just coming to pass on his reaching home at eleven o'clock pennyloaf met him with the news that jack bartley had looked in twice and seemed very anxious to see him to-morrow being saturday jack would call again early in the afternoon when the time came he presented himself hungry and dirty as ever but with an unwonted liveliness in his eye i've got something to say to you he began in a low voice nodding significantly towards pennyloaf go and buy what you want for to-morrow said bob to his wife giving her some money out of his wages take the kids disappointed in being thus excluded from confidence but obedient as ever pennyloaf speedily prepared herself and the children the younger of whom she still had to carry when she was gone mr bartley assumed a peculiar attitude and began to speak in an undertone you know that medal as you gave me the other night what about it i sold it for fourpence to a chap i know it got me a bed at the lodgings in pentonville road oh you did well what else jack was writhing in the most unaccountable way peering hither and thither out of the corners of his eyes seeming to have an obstruction in his throat it was in a public-house as i sold it a chap i know there was another chap as i didn't know standing just by see he kept looking at the metal and he kept looking at me when i went out the chap as i didn't know followed behind me i didn't see him at first but he come up with me just at the top of rosamond street a red-haired chap looked like a corster hullo says he hullo says i got any more o them medals he says in a quiet way like what do you want to know for i says cause you see he was a bloke as i didn't know nothing about and there's no good being over free with your talk he got me to walk on a bit with him and kept talking you didn't buy that nowhere he says with a sort of wink what if i didn't i says there's no harm as i know well he kept on with his sort o winks and then he says got any queer to put round at this point jack lowered his voice to a whisper and looked timorously towards the door you know what he meant bob bob nodded and became reflective well i didn't say nothing pursued bartley but the chap stuck to me a fair price for a fair article he says you'll always find me there of a thursday night if you've got any business going give me a look round he says it ain't in my line i says so he gave a grin like and kept on talking if you want a four half shiner he says you know where to come reasonable with them as is reasonable thursday night he says 
and then he slung his hook round the corner. "'What's a four-half-shiner?' inquired Bob, looking from under his eyebrows. "'Well, I didn't know myself, just then. But I've found out. It's a public-house pewter. See?' A flash of intelligence shot across Bob's face. When Pennyloaf returned, she found her husband with his box of moulds and medals on the table. He was turning over its contents, meditatively. On the table there also lay a half-crown and a florin, as though Bob had been examining these products of the royal mint with a view to improving the artistic quality of his amateur workmanship. He took up the coins quietly as his wife entered and put them in his pocket. "'Mrs. Rendell's been at me again, Bob,' Pennyloaf said, as she set down her market basket. "'You'll have to give her something to-day.' He paid no attention, and Pennyloaf had a difficulty in bringing him to discuss the subject of the landlady's demands. Ultimately, however, he admitted with discontent the advisability of letting Mrs. Rendell have something on account. Though it was Saturday night, he let hour after hour go by and showed no disposition to leave home. To Pennyloaf's surprise, he sat almost without moving by the fire, absorbed in thought. Genuine respect for law is the result of possessing something which the law exerts itself to guard. Should it happen that you possess nothing, and that your education in metaphysics has been grievously neglected, the strong probability is, that your mind will reduce the principle of society to its naked formula, get, by whatever means, so long as with impunity. On that formula Bob Hewitt was brooding. In the hours of this Saturday evening he exerted his mind more strenuously than ever before in the course of his life and to a foregone result. Here is a man with no moral convictions, with no conscious relations to society save those which are hostile, with no personal affections, at the same time, vaguely aware of certain faculties in himself for which life affords no scope, and encouraged in various kinds of conceit by the crass stupidity of all with whom he associates it is suggested to him all at once that there is a very easy way of improving his circumstances and that by exercise of a certain craft with which he is perfectly familiar only the method happens to be criminal men who do this kind of thing are constantly being caught and severely punished yes men of a certain kind not robert hewitt robert hewitt is altogether an exceptional being he is head and shoulders above the men with whom he mixes he is clever he is remarkably good-looking if any one in this world of a truth robert hewitt may reckon on impunity when he sets his wits against the law why his arrest and punishment is an altogether inconceivable thing he never in his life had a charge brought against him again and again it came back to that every novice in unimpassioned crime has that thought and the more self-conscious the man the more impressed with a sense of his own importance so much the weightier is its effect with him 
we know in what spirit john hewitt regarded rebels against the law do not imagine that any impulse of that nature actuated his son clara alone had inherited her father's instinct of revolt bob's temperament was in a certain measure that of the artist he felt without reasoning he let himself go whither his moods propelled him not a man of evil propensities entertain no such thought for a moment society produces many a monster but the mass of those whom after creating them it pronounces bad are merely bad from the conventional point of view they are guilty of weaknesses not of crimes bob was not incapable of generosity his marriage had in fact implied more of that quality than you in the upper world can at all appreciate he neglected his wife of course for he had never loved her and the burden of her support was too great a trial for his selfishness weakness vanity a sense that he has not satisfactions proportionate to his desert a strong temptation here are the data which in ordinary cases explain a man's deliberate attempt to profit by criminality in a short time pennyloaf began to be aware of peculiarities of behaviour in her husband for which she could not account though there appeared no necessity for the step he insisted on their once more seeking new lodgings and before the removal he destroyed all his metals and moulds what's that for bob pennyloaf inquired i'll tell you and mind you hold your tongue about it somebody's been saying as these things might get me into trouble just you be careful not to mention to people that i used to make these kinds of things but why should it get you into trouble mind what i tell you and don't ask questions you're always too ready at talking his absences of an evening were nothing new but his manner on returning was such as pennyloaf had never seen in him he appeared to be suffering from some intense excitement his hands were unsteady he showed the strangest nervousness if there was any unusual sounds in the house then he certainly obtained money of which his wife did not know the source he bought new articles of clothing and in explanation said that he had won bets pennyloaf remarked these things with uneasiness she had a fear during her lonely evenings for which she could give no reason poor slow-witted mortal though she was a devoted fidelity attached her to her husband and quickened wonderfully her apprehension in everything that concerned him miss snowdon came to-day bob she had said about a week after his order with regard to jane oh she did and did you tell her she'd better keep away yes was the dispirited answer glad to hear it as for jack bartley he never showed himself at the new lodgings bob shortly became less regular in his attendance at the workshop an occasional monday he had to be sure been in the habit of allowing himself but as the winter wore on he was more than once found straying about the streets in midweek one morning towards the end of november 
as he strolled along high holborn a hand checked his progress he gave almost a leap and turned a face of terror upon the person who stopped him it was clem mrs snowdon they had of course met casually since bob's marriage and in progress of time the ferocious glances they were wont to exchange had softened into a grin of half-friendly recognition clem's behaviour at present was an unexpected revival of familiarity when he had got over his shock bob felt surprised and expressed the feeling in a well what have you got to say for yourself you jumped as if i'd stuck a pin in you replied clem did you think it was a copper bob looked at her with a surly smile though no one could have mistaken the class she belonged to clem was dressed in a way which made her companionship with bob in his workman's clothing somewhat incongruous she wore a heavily trimmed brown hat a long velveteen jacket and carried a little bag of imitation fur why ain't you at work she added does mrs pennyloaf hewitt know how you spend your time hasn't your husband taught you to mind your own business clem took the retort good-humouredly and they walked on conversing not altogether at his ease thus companioned bob turned out of the main street and presently they came within sight of the british museum ever been in that place clem asked of course i have he replied with his air of superiority i haven't is there anything to pay let's go in for half an hour it was an odd freak but bob began to have a pleasure in this renewal of intimacy he wished he had been wearing his best suit years ago his father had brought him on a public holiday to the museum and his interest was chiefly excited by the collection of the royal seals to that quarter he first led his companion and thence directed her towards objects more likely to supply her with amusement he talked freely and was himself surprised at the show of information his memory allowed him to make desperately vague and often ludicrously wide of the mark but still a something of knowledge retained from all sorts of chance encounters by his capable mind had the british museum been open to visitors in the hours of the evening or on sundays bob hewitt would possibly have been employing his leisure nowadays in more profitable pursuits possibly one cannot say more than that for the world to which he belonged is above all a world of frustration and only the one man in half a million has fate for his friend much clem cared for antiquities when she had wearied herself in pretending interest a seat in an unvisited corner gave her an opportunity for more congenial dialogue how's mrs pennyloaf she asked with a smile of malice how's mr what's-his-name snowdon was the reply my husband's a gentleman good thing for me i had the sense to wait and for me too i dare say why ain't you at work got the sack i can take a day off if i like can't i 
and you'll go ome and tell your wife as you've been working i know what you men are what'd mrs pennyloaf say if she knew you was here with me you daren't tell her you daren't i'm not doing any harm as i know of i shall tell her if i choose and if i choose i shan't i don't ask her what i'm to do i dare say and how does that mother of hers get on and her brother at the public nice relations for mr bob hewitt do they come to tea on sunday bob glared at her and clem laughed showing all her teeth from this exchange of pleasantries the talk passed to various subjects the affairs of jack bartley and his precious wife changes in clerkenwell close then to clem's own circumstances she threw out hints of brilliant things in store for her do you come here often she asked at length can't say i do thought perhaps you brought mrs pennyloaf when'll you be here again don't know bob replied fidgeting and looking to a distance i shouldn't wonder if i'm here this day next week said clem after a pause you can bring pennyloaf if you like it was dinner-time and they left the building together at the end of museum street they exchanged a careless nod and went their several ways end of chapter twenty four